Hi, readers. This is Kari. When we started this podcast, our mission was to make literature enjoyable for those who don't particularly enjoy reading while building a tribe with serious readers within our community. We knew that for this show to work, we needed to do our absolute best. That's why before our official launch in January of 2020, we handpicked a select pool of test listeners in 2019. For them, We recorded and published a few episodes of Lit Society. They provided feedback and we improved the show based on their comments. What you're about to hear is exclusively for that pool of first listeners. Enjoy. The Orient Express, a luxurious train occupied by a motley group of passengers, is halted in the middle of the night by a blizzard and a murder. Under the darkness of night, a passenger has been brutally stabbed to death. One detective must solve the case before the killer strikes again. His name is Hercule Poirot. The book is Murder on the Orient Express, and you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit. And this is Alexis. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. drama. Alexis, how you been? I've been good. You it's look been great. a good week. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, my head is all wrapped up on purpose. But yeah, it's <laughs> been a good week. Um, the snow hit me. I mean, it just Were you ready for the and, cold? Nope, I was not. Mm-hmm, me I either. mean, the heat's already on in the apartment, but it, man, it was... It's it was for real. cold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It hit us really hard, really fast, really quick. Like I was looking out the window at work and the snow was just blowing. I was like, it's cold out there. This is a snowstorm. Yeah. But nothing was really sticking. Mm-hmm. It was just what it looked like. And it's so. almost pretty though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just the cold I, I hate, but the snow is always beautiful in Chicago. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. How's your week been? It's been good. I've been working like Rihanna, Uh-oh. but, um, you know, I can't complain. My mom's in town. It's nice. Very nice to have your mom. Yes. She's been very kind cooking for us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been delicious, but very <laughs> unhealthy. <laughs> but there's so, a time of year for that. It's perfect um, for unhealthy Did you know you can make food. a meat salad? <laughs> it has no know. vegetables. I did it's not know what that is. Different salamis and charcuterie with <laughs> olives. It's terrible for you. We'll kill you. So that's her idea of a salad. No, I don't believe you. She did try to make one with lettuce, but it was like dressing soup. But actually, I did come by uh, last week and we had meat with a side of meat. Yeah, so that she was loved, oh, meat with a side of meat. That's her specialty. And cheese. But those are all good things, I uh, guess. We'll kill you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I could I could make some vegetables if I wanted. You could. And, in fact, I'll bring you some carrots. Thank you. Ooh, that Very might help. kind. Oh, I would love a carrot. They're fresh. I've been dreaming of carrots. Very fresh. Very so fresh. sick of uh, chicken. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> Each week, we select a theme to discuss, inspired by the book we're reading. And the theme this week is vigilante justice. Now, in fantasy, um, the vigilante is uh, more like Robin Hood, Batman. In reality, historically, that has manifested itself in the American Revolution, where um, (laughs) revolutionists fought against England. Yes, that is the word. That was my time. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and later they formed a constitution that in a way in the subtext supports vigilante justice, this idea that every household should be able to enforce its own um, law to right. an extent, mm-hmm. you know. Um, 
Then we have the KKK, mm-hmm. gun activism, stand your ground laws. Yep. A lot of people think of this when they think of vigilante justice. Um, and all of these are born from a mistrust of law enforcement and to a greater degree, the government as a whole. But ironically, civil movements likely often um, breed more distrust of police because if you can't trust the judicial system, how can you trust um, any type of lawmakers right. or executive mm-hmm. you know, positions? So I want to ask you, in your opinion, does vigilante justice ever work? If so, when? Or is it an oxymoron? Is it typically something that's only possible in the movies? Nothing works all the time. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Right. So for some people, like when I was looking at vigilante justice, kind of researching a little bit, I came across stories where people have been um, successful, if you will. And mostly they were avenging something that happened. By successful, you mean they didn't like go to jail for their crimes? Right. Right. (laughs) Because they're they're perpetrating a crime because vigilanteism. Mm hmm in itself is not a crime, Mm. but is that right? But the actions that come out of it, sometimes you're hurting other people. Mm -hmm. Like when you think about Batman, he's not, he's capturing people. He's not necessarily doing anything bad to them. Right. That's well, he's not killing them. Right. He's not in turn robbing them. That's true. Yeah. So that's not a bad act. Mm -hmm. But then there are cases when people actually kill somebody in real life, in real life, or they kidnap somebody. One of the cases that I came across was a man, his car had broke down. He had two sons. His sons were pushing his car Mm -hmm. and they were on the highway. A drunk driver comes by, hits them, kills the children. The man goes home because he didn't live far, gets his gun, comes back and shoots. Oh, the drunk driver. The drunk driver and kills him. Mm -hmm. He goes to trial. And he is acquitted. He's tried in front of a jury and they let him go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. Wow. Mm-hmm. I. Yeah. Nothing works all the time, but he got away. And that case, doesn't mean it worked. I mean, oh, that's hard because that doesn't bring your children back. You know. that. Yeah. But he doesn't have any harsh feelings about the murder of this other oh, guy. Okay, okay. You know what I mean? So in his heart, he settled with that decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He took matters into his own hand. Mm. And it resulted in a crime that killed somebody else. So are you saying that vigilante justice is um, it it works sometimes like it's a good thing in society to I have wouldn't say some element of. OK, I wouldn't say it's a good thing because it's a um, can I say a lack of respect for authority mm-hmm. and um, no trust in the justice system, which, you know, that can be justified. Did you find any other cases of vigilante justice? Another woman. She found out her daughter was having trouble in school. Turns out her daughter was sexually assaulted. She goes to approach the guy at his job with a gun, mm-hmm. takes him, takes him to a field, tells him to strip naked and confess. He confesses. Mm-hmm. He confesses. She then takes him to the police station. They arrest him because he then confesses again. Mm-hmm. And um, he's jailed. He spent some time in jail. She gets tried for kidnapping. <gasps> Stop it. Yeah. So <laughs> so what happened when she was tried for kidnapping? I can't remember if she got off or not. I have to um, pull that out. So it comes with, con- oh, yeah. Yeah, wow. it comes with consequences. It comes with consequences. Like as consequences. 
But like mm-hmm. I said, vigilantism is not in itself a crime because mm-hmm. it always doesn't always call you to hurt somebody or have a um, illegal action with that. But her actions were illegal. Such as groups that um, police the neighborhood or watch out for their neighbors, right. organized groups like that, right? They're not, infli- they're not enforcing law. They're just, but are those vigilantes? I think to be a vigilante, you have to take law in your own hands. That yes. is the point. Yeah. And so that and, is illegal. But no, because you can do a citizen's arrest. Those are real. I don't know if that's a thing. I've always heard it's a thing. I know Shaquille O'Neal has done it. I know. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger did it once. <laughs> However, I do not think I can go into the sh- street and arrest anyone. I don't think is that's there. Real. Why don't you think you can do it? Uh, first of all, I like to mind my business. I am too one of those people. <laughs> do you though? Because I feel like business don't <laughs> likes to mind you. Like every time you're on the train, you're in the middle of something. No! true yeah you get caught in a lot of the criminal activity in chicago i mean no snitching but i don't think so i don't think so (laughs) but yeah um yeah i forgot what you said what did you say nothing worth repeating okay well then (laughs) that thought is i'm at a loss so let me i looked it up and she was arrested for kidnapping with the intent to commit first degree murder she faced up to five years in prison but ultimately only receive a year's probation. But she still had to be in probation for a year. Yeah. <sighs> but she didn't have to go to jail for up to five years. Yeah, but because she couldn't she like kidnapped. travel or anything. Yeah. So, but she had some consequences for her actions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the guy was sentenced to four years in prison for molesting her child. Mm-hmm. And this was a, a in-law of hers. So, so in your opinion, sometimes vigilante justice does work. What do you mean by work? I mean that it is an effective way to enforce law in a, in a society. No. <laughs> no. Never? No, because I, I don't think we should take the law into our own hands. Uh, okay. I mean, it's, you could feel so passionately about something, and I understand that. But when you're taking the law into your own hands, and sometimes that involves hurting somebody else, mm-hmm. then I, I that's don't where think, the line is easily drawn, yeah. right? But if it's if you're just apprehending someone, mm-hmm. catching somebody, how are you going to apprehend someone without hurting them? You, you don't have can. to hurt me to apprehend me. I'm gonna tell you that right now. You ain't gonna just be apprehending well, me. But think about it. A guy on the train, he apprehended a man that was robbing people. That is vigilante justice. He right? heard him. He like broke his wrist or something. He I'm did sure. Not, he did then not. How did he apprehend him? He he held him. He said, <laughs> I got a gun, man, in my pocket. There we go. So threat of violence. Oh, right. That is illegal. Yeah. That's did he say illegal. that? I got to go back and look at this story. <laughs> so but he didn't say it. <laughs> in event, he had him held up and he stayed there until the police came. Mm-hmm. This conversation is hard to have without the idea that there is a... Um, supreme form of justice that we all must answer to Mm -hmm. that right and wrong cannot be just relative. Right. There has to be um, some greater judge that will inflict the um, consequences that man often uh, neglects to inflict. Does that make sense? So if someone does harm to you and the justice system does not, 
carry out justice in a way that is satisfactory, oftentimes um, one is left with either the comfort of belief that there is a higher justice that will inflict Mm -hmm. adequate consequences. You'll pay eventually. You will pay eventually Mm -hmm. is the idea, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you do something wrong to me and I get and I avenge myself or my family, then maybe you or your family will want to avenge you. And then it goes yes, on and on and on. Yes. Isn't that how um, mob crime goes? Oh, don't do that. All right. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> At least in the movies. <laughs> in the movies. No, that's what no. I've seen in movies. I mean, I don't know any mob people in real life. <laughs> well, you may know. Of someone that may have had a gang affiliation at one time. Sure, sure. We don't have to uh, reserve it for the mob. That That is definitely the way it goes. Yeah, that's Yeah, it. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whenever vigilantes take action, usually there is a reaction. And it never stops. Mm-hmm. And so, everyone pays. So mostly the innocent. Is no. I don't think we should take that on. Honestly. Mm. Well, that changes my plans for this weekend. <laughs> cross that off no vigilantism (laughs) no vigilantism all right let's take a quick break before getting into the details surrounding murder on the orient express by agatha christie okay alexis First of all, welcome back. Can you give us some background on Agatha Christie? Agatha Christie. <laughs> you know, I have. You are so excited. Actually, I am. I am excited. Me too. That's cool. She was born in 1890 in Southwest England, and she taught herself to read at the age of by the age of five. Stop. Wow. She had no formal education until mm. she was at least 15 or 16, and I think at, that was... Um, What do you call the school for girls when you want them to be? A finishing school? Yeah, a finishing Mm -hmm. school. And That's not a real school. That's like where they teach you to like say the right things when your husband comes home. Yeah, so she had no formal education. Yikes. Mm -hmm. She married her first husband when she was um, in 1914 and she had a child, one child in 1916. It was during the First World War. (laughs) That's not funny. Stop laughing. I can't say world war. Oh, my goodness. You should have just said war, the first one. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> Agatha Christie turned the great to writing. It's the word war. Oh, the war is the problem. Yes. Don't let me stop you. Go ahead. <laughs> turned to writing detective stories. Okay. And then around 1916, her sister better that. Or challenged her that she couldn't write a good detective story. <laughs> Wait, she had already been writing detective stories. And then her sister was like, hey, but you can't write a good one. <laughs> Pretty much like oh, that. Oh, the shade. Family is the word. Aren't they? <laughs> yes, they are. So she wrote six romance novels under the name Mary Westmacott. And she died in 1976. Um, let's see. So she had a long life, especially for that time. Mm-hmm. Agatha was a... 1976? Yep. A private wow. woman. And she wrote her own, she wrote an autobiography. Well, you have to write your own autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I was thinking it, but I didn't know I actually said it. So okay. just ignore that. Anyway. Um, Unless you're like Malcolm X, <laughs> you know, Alex Haley. Uh-huh. Anyway, she wrote, wrote it. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, 
There was also a time in her life where she went missing for 10 days. Oh, my goodness. I know about this. You do? Yes. She She was at the spa. I love her. (laughs) She totally planned her own. One night, she leaves her child with her, um, the keeper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nurse, maybe. And then she goes away and then she's not found for 10 days. Well, it turns out that she was at, I don't know, because she did. She was missing. And they said she had amnesia when she came back. Okay. I often have amnesia, like when deadlines come around. (laughs) (laughs) But she, when she, when she came back. Essay. What? She turned up at this spa hotel and she signed in as the mistress of her husband. Right. Mm hmm. Mistress of her husband. Shortly after that, she did get divorced from her husband. But yeah, she signed in. And said she was from South Africa, but people recognized her. So then they kind of. So they were like, Agatha. Agatha And she was like, oh, no, darling, I'm Sarah. (laughs) No, Agatha, we know. Like, I'm reading your book right now. Here it is. That's not me, darling. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That Agatha. Yeah, but that's what happened. Agatha Christie is the best-selling novelist of all time. All time. She is best known for her 66 detective novels. And 14 short story collections. Um, and she has a world's longest running play, The Mousetrap. And I've yeah. heard of The Mousetrap, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know anything about it. Mm, same. She's like third as far as best selling. Yeah. The Bible and Shakespeare. Are I was going to say, I think it's only God and William. <laughs> God, William, Agatha. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. This book has um is pulled from the headlines you know like um oh there's a little truth in it yeah like law and order Da-da. yes that's the name oh, that's i was great. thinking of yeah oh, i mean come on is that true yes this i'm getting ready is... to tell you about it oh, i'm sorry <laughs> now readers have told me i cut you off you're far too often it. um it was ripped from the head but i don't think they know what they're talking about me cut you off foolishness lightheaded again stop it ripped from the headlines as i was saying the abduction of charles Lindbergh, his son you heard that before yes that's a real story wow in real life i think the child was 10 months or Mm -hmm. 18 months kidnapped from the home of the family and murdered so a wealthy family Mm -hmm. their child is kidnapped i think the father was an aviator oh wow Oh, her yeah. last appearance, public appearance, was at the premiere of Murder of the Orient Express in 1974. And then no one ever saw her again. It was her last public appearance. <laughs> what does that mean? She's a famous person. Where she officially was there to appear. But we might see her on the street, but she's not appearing. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay. I mean, if you really? tell me Beyonce's last public appearance was at Target last week. That's not a public appearance, like, though. She appeared publicly. That's not the same thing. I don't think you know. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally not the same thing. There was a big event. She showed up for it. And then 10 days later, she dies. Other people saw her in this time period. So it's a wow. public. It's an event. Okay. And she said That's it was a, a good adaptation. And her only complaint was that... Um, the detective's mustache wasn't luxurious enough. Oh, they tried to correct that then with this new one. So that's Agatha. Yep, that's Agatha. Aggie, as I like to call her. <sighs> when she's aggravating. <gasps> no spoilers. In a few words, can you give us a brief synopsis of Murder on the Orient Express? 
uh, I think I can. I think I can. And there are going to be very few words. Okay. After finishing. An I'll assignment. try not to cut you off. <laughs> I think you're mocking our listeners. I oh, don't that's not. That's serious. That's I'm so, you're right. I'm so sorry. All right. Reel it in. I gravel before your feet. <laughs> <laughs> After finishing an assignment in Syria, Detective Herklupro. Sure. <laughs> I'm going to try you guys. It's really hard to say words. Takes the train to Istanbul in hopes of a mini vacation. When he arrives, he receives a telegram that he must head to London. He boards the usually, the unusually crowded Orient Express, where he must solve the murder of a passenger while the train is halted due to an avalanche. Avalanche? Yeah, you know, a big snowdrift came. I didn't. He- I didn't get that from the book, well, but that was in the movie. It's a lot of snow. So okay, now I have to ask you, and I want you to be honest. <sighs> did you read this book or did you watch the movie? <laughs> um, I just read the notes. Wait, what? You read the book though, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. I read books. I put read that on books. the shirt. Okay, cool. What were your first yes, thoughts of the book? Put that on there. Yes, put that on the book. I was excited to read it. First thoughts, I loved the movie. Yeah. As a youth watching this, I didn't realize it was based on a book. Mm -hmm. So to find out as an adult that it was, I was excited to read it. And so, and it got good. So. It got good? Yeah. 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 How about you? Um, What's your first thoughts? I felt like it was fun. The dialogue was back and forth. Um, very fast paced, which I like. I think I like dialogue more than these inner thoughts <clears throat> that a lot of writers, yeah, uh-huh. you know, indulge in that can get tedious, especially for me when it comes to a 19th century writer. Oh, that makes me think of. Um, Don't you know. think of Valette. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it whenever. You- so this book, Agatha Christie's A Murder on the Orient Express. My first thoughts were short chapters. We've already talked about how much we love them. Yes, love them. Back and forth dialogue, fast paced. Love it. Funny characters. This is a murder story. That's, I laughed. Yeah. I felt, and it's not like you're laughing at cheap jokes. You're laughing at these, the idiosyncrasies of these fun characters that she's created. So my first thoughts were, what a delightful treat to enjoy in the middle of a blizzard. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm starting to wonder, is Beechree good or bad? You know, to me, when I say Beechree, I mean something that I can pick up, put down. I could take a nap in the middle of it. I might be um, enthralled by the story, but not so overwhelmed by it that I can't put it down. I can easily put it down and jump right back in it. And it's fun. It's lighthearted. We have read a book where I felt like the characters, which is so uninteresting I never thought of them again these to me are not those characters Mm. I felt like her characters were well-rounded um she fully fleshed out their personalities and every time they pop in and out of the scene you know who they are and what they're about very good for her I mean yeah I thought she did a great job with that well let's get into our deep dive plots discussion okay if you want to why what am I supposed to do I just wanted to know <laughs> That's what you wanted to do. You want to take a break? Yeah, can we do one of those? You got yeah, no problem. <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break before we get into the deep dive and plot summary. Yeah. Okay. So Hercule Perot is a retired Belgian police officer and a private detective. 
And so he's boarding a train to Istanbul in hopes of being a tourist and getting some rest and relaxation because he just finished up a case. A case. And so on the train, there's two others, a Mary Debenham and a Colonel Arpanat, who are strangers. So when the train arrives in Istanbul, he finds out that these two people actually know each other. And he knows that because Mrs. Debenham, her name is Mary, mm-hmm. and the colonel refers to her by her first name. Right. And Englishmen don't standardly refer to people that they know or women that they know don't know by their first name. Right. So Perot checks into the hotel. Well, he, he, yeah, he actually checks into the hotel and then they give him a telegram and say, hey, you're being summoned to England. He's like, I never had to get my luggage in the room. He did not. He couldn't <laughs> even get nowhere. But while he, after that happened, he actually sees a friend of his from Belgium who is actually Monsieur Bon. Mm-hmm. And he is like the head of the train situation. So the train is the Orient Express that he's about to board. This guy runs it. Right. And I think the organization is called Wagon Lit. Um, so he gets um, Perot uh, onto the train. And the next day afternoon, they're having lunch, Perot and Monsieur Bon. And after they have lunch, Perot is approached by a man. Mm-hmm. And so let's hear from this man. Okay. oblige me with the light he said his voice was soft faintly nasal my name is ratchet Perot bowed slightly he slipped his hand into his pocket and produced the matchbox which he handed to the other man who took it but did not strike a light i think that i have the pleasure of speaking to mr hercule perot that's so perot bowed again you have been correctly informed monsieur The detective was conscious of those strange, shrewd eyes summing him up before the other spoke again. In my country, we come to the point quickly. Mr. Perot, I want you to take on a job for me. Hercule Perot's eyebrows went up a trifle. My clientele, monsieur, is limited nowadays. I undertake very few cases. Well, naturally, I understand that. But this, Mr. Perot, means big money. He repeated again in his soft, persuasive voice, Big money. Hercule Perot was silent a minute or two. Then he said, What is it you wish me to do for you, Mr. Ratchet? Mr. Perot, I am a rich man, a very rich man. Men in that position have enemies. I have an enemy. My life has been threatened, Mr. Perot. Now I'm a man who can take pretty good care of himself. From the pocket of his coat, his hand brought a small automatic into sight for a moment. He continued grimly, I don't think I'm the kind of man to be caught napping. But as I look at it, I might as well make assurance doubly sure. I fancy you're the man for my money, Mr. Perot. And remember, big money. I regret, monsieur, he said at length. I cannot oblige you. I have made enough money to satisfy both my needs and my caprices. I take now only such cases as interest me. You've got a pretty good nerve. Will $20,000 tempt you? It will not. 
If you're holding out for more, you won't get it. I know what a thing's worth to me. I also missed the ratchet. What's wrong with my proposition? Perot rose. If you will forgive me for being personal, I do not like your face, Mr. Ratchet, he said. And with that, he left the restaurant car. I'm not taking your case. I don't help (laughs) ugly people. Also, I know you're going to talk about the characters, but someone else was described as ugly. She's really good at describing ugly people. I mean, they just do not let up with this. That person is really ugly. And I mean, they laughed about it. It was like, they (laughs) No, but you're right. They are. (laughs) They really ugly. I was like, dang. (laughs) Okay. That night, Pearl had difficulty sleeping. The next day, he learns there's a murder. Mm. We're going to talk about the crime scene. Dr. Constantine is on board and examines the body and assists with the investigation. He determines that there are 12 stab wounds, approximately 12 stab wounds in the body of varying intensity. Mm. And the death occurred between the hours of 12 and 2. Crime scene appears to be trying to tell a story, right. if you will. So it looks like... Trying to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the murderer has left. Just a story of clues just trying to lead you to the murderer. Right, mm-hmm. right. But then he sees this chart note and he can actually see what this, the note says. It says, member little Daisy Armstrong. And now Perot knows who the murdered man is. Ooh. The murdered man is Ratchet. So let's go into um, the characters and then we'll kind of talk about the story of Daisy. Okay. So the character, Hector McQueen, who is the assistant, the personal assistant to Ratchet. Um, Pierre Michel. Oh, the conductor. Yeah. He's Mm -hmm. French and he's the conductor. So he was the one that would have been running back when the bing, bing, bing was being called. And then there's Edward Masterman and he is the valet. Oh, yeah. Mr. Mm -hmm. Ratchet. Now, I don't really know what a valet is. I think they like help you get dressed and handle your luggage. Yeah, but he also brought him his, uh, didn't he bring him medicine? Yeah, they do that too. They're like the maids, like a lady maid. A lady maid. But for men. But then the personal assistant is. that. uh, So McQueen is actually his secretary, but he travels with him because McQueen is more of a linguist. Yeah. Then Ratchet. So Ratchet basically only knows English. Right. But McQueen knows a lot of different languages or at least enough to get by on them. So he travels with the gentleman. And McQueen is American. Right. American. Mm -hmm. Masterman is English. And then there is Mrs. Hubbard. She's American and she's presented as a very obnoxious lady. She's always the loudest Mm -hmm. in the dining car. She's always talking about her daughter and Mm -hmm. something she knows where she knows something more than everybody else. Yeah. My daughter always says that I'm so clever. Also, I'm aggressively ugly. (laughs) That's how she (laughs) describes. She's described. Wait, I thought Dragomirov was the ugly one. Oh, no, she too is ugly. It's so many it's ugly, some ugly folks in this book. It's so many ugly people on this train, can I tell you? <laughs> Woo, they ugly. Anyway, and then the next one is Greta Olsen, and she's Swedish. She was actually the last person to see Mr. Ratchet alive. Right. Okay. 
Oh, yeah. She actually <laughs> was going to her room. Her, yeah. Is it called a birth? Did, did they call them a birth? The birth is like the bunk bed. So oh. she was going to her room to sleep. Her but cabin. she actually, yeah. And she actually opened the wrong door. Right. So you know how so some hotels have a stuff. door in the middle where two rooms are connected. So that's how these train cabins are. She accidentally opens it and it's his cabin. <laughs> and he goes, oh, you too old. <laughs> And she's just close to her and she's angry. And I think she's Wait. like 42, by the way. But she also is the one that cries a lot. Oh, she's just a ball of emotion. She's, so that just like hurt her and yeah. stuff. So she was all just mm-hmm. crying all the time. Yeah. So then there's her. And then there's Princess Dragomirov. She is described as ugly. I'm positive. I don't she think is. she's ugly. She's stoic. You know what? She's a handsome woman. He just doesn't like handsome women. <laughs> I think that may be a line. She's not ugly as much as she's old and she's very, she has a hard look. And then her voice is deep and she looks very stern. We have, these are the Count and Countess Andrei. They're Hungarian. Oh, I've been saying Andrei. Andrei. But I don't know. Well, you know, somebody knows and they will correct us. Of course. Count and Countess and they're Hungarian. All right. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the colonel, which we mentioned before, and he was on the train prior with parole. Oh, when he was pretending not to know the woman. Yes. And then there's uh, Mr. Hardman. He's American and he's just on the train. I don't remember anything about him. Oh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I remember about him, but I don't know if it's important right now. Okay. And then there's Antonio. He's American. Yep. Mm-hmm. Antonio Foscarelli. He is American, but he was born. He's an Italian birth. And then there's Mary Debenham, which we talked about earlier because she was on the train and she is British. And then our final character is Hildegard Schmidt. And she's German. And she is the maid of Princess Dragomirov. Right. Now we have all the characters. The potential criminals. Can I call them criminals? Suspects. 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 That's the correct word. And now we know. Let's go back to that note again. So we learned about the note. Okay. And it said, member little Daisy Armstrong. So Mm -hmm. let's hear the story about that. Colonel Armstrong was an Englishman, a B.C. He was half American as his mother was a daughter of W.K. Vanderhoff, the Wall Street millionaire. He married the daughter of Linda Arden, the most famous tragic American actress of her day. They lived in America and had one child, a girl whom they idolized. When she was three years old, she was kidnapped and an impossibly high sum demanded as the price of her return. I will not weary you with all the intricacies that followed. I will come to the moment when, after having paid over the enormous sum of $200,000, the child's dead body was discovered, it having been dead at least a fortnight. Public indignation rose to fever point, and there was worse to follow. Mrs. Armstrong was expecting another child. Following the shock of the discovery, she gave birth to a dead child born prematurely and herself died. Her broken-hearted husband shot himself. Mondu, what a tragedy. 
I remember now, said, Monsieur Bon, there was another death, if I remember rightly. Yes, an unfortunate French or Swiss nursemaid. The police were convinced that she had some knowledge of the crime. They refused to believe her hysterical denials. Finally, in a fit of despair, the poor girl threw herself from a window and was killed. It was proved afterwards that she was absolutely innocent of any complicity in the crime. It is not good to think of, said Monsieur Bon. About six months later, this man Cassetti was arrested as the head of the game who had kidnapped the child. They had used the same methods in the past. If the police seemed likely to get on their trail, they had killed their prisoner, hidden the body, and continued to extract as much money as possible before the crime was discovered. Now, I will make clear to you this, my friend. Cassetti was the man. But by means of the enormous wealth he had piled up and by the secret hold he had over various persons, he was acquitted on some technical inaccuracy. Notwithstanding that, he would have been lynched by the populace had he not been clever enough to give them the slip. It is now clear to me what happened. He changed his name and left America. Since then, he has been a gentleman of leisure, traveling abroad and living on his rent. Yeah, so that was a um, that was the story. So this man that died, this ratchet, mm-hmm. I can't remember his first name, but he is Cassetti. He is the person who orchestrated the crime that killed the young little child. Daisy. Mm-hmm. So I want to um go ahead and correct myself because, as you said, Perot definitely describes. Well, he does not necessarily describe the princess as ugly. However, his friend, Monsieur Bonk, says that she is ugly as sin, (laughs) but she makes herself felt. And then um, someone describes that she's certainly ugly. And yet, like the toad, she had eyes like jewels. That was Perot. And then this ugly princess describes Mrs. Hubbard. As a very ugly old lady, (laughs) but rather fascinating. So that's where I got confused. The ugly lady described another ugly lady as ugly. Also, Mrs. Hubbard's children, they ugly. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Everybody's ugly. Yeah. Okay. So we got the scene. We got the crime scene. Mm -hmm. We got the backstory. Now let's talk about the investigation. So Perot, Dr. Constantine, and Monsieur Bon interview all the passengers of the car one One by one. One by one, yeah. Now, just tell me this. Who's in authority here? I've got some very important information. Very important, indeed. And I just want to tell it to someone in authority as soon as may be. If you gentlemen... Her wavering glance fluctuated between the three men. Perot leaned forward. Tell it to me, madam, he said. But first, pray be seated. Mrs. Hubbard plumped down heavily in the seat opposite to him. What I've got to tell you is this. There was a murder on the train last night, and the murderer was right there in my compartment. She paused to give dramatic emphasis to her words. You are sure of this, madam? Of course I'm sure. The idea, I know what I'm talking about. I'll tell you just everything there is to tell. 
I'd gotten into bed and gone to sleep, and suddenly I woke up all in the dark it was, and I knew there was a man in my compartment. I was just so scared I couldn't scream, if you know what I mean. I just lay there and thought, mercy, I'm going to be killed. I just can't describe to you how I felt, these nasty trains, I thought, and all the outages I'd read of. And I thought, well, anyway, he won't get my jewelry because, you see, I'd put that in a stocking and hidden it under my pillow, <laughs> which isn't so mighty comfortable, by the way, kinder bumpy, if you know what I mean, but that's neither here nor there. Where was I? You realized, madam, that there was a man in your compartment? Yes. Well, I just lay there with my eyes closed and I thought, whatever should I do? And I thought, well, I'm just thankful that my daughter doesn't know what plight I'm in. And then somehow I got my wits about me and I felt about with my hand and pressed the bell for the conductor. I pressed it and I pressed it, but nothing happened. Mercy, I said to myself, maybe they've murdered every single soul on the train. It was at a standstill anyway, but I just went on pressing that bell and oh, the relief when I heard footsteps coming running down the corridor and a knock on the door. Come in, I screamed. And I switched on the lights at the same time and would you believe it, there wasn't a soul there. This seemed to Mrs. Hubbard to be a dramatic climax rather than an anti-climax. What happened next, madam? Why, I told you the man what had happened and he didn't seem to believe me seemed to imagine I dreamt the whole thing. I made I made him look under the seat, though, though he said there wasn't room for a man to squeeze himself in there. It was plain enough the man had gotten away, but there, there had been a man there, and it just made me mad the way the conductor tried to soothe me down. I'm not one to imagine things, mister. I, I don't know your name. Perot, madam, and this is Monsieur Bonk, a director of the company and Dr. Constantine. Mrs. Hubbard murmured, Pleased to meet you, I'm sure. So a conductor must have been in there is the consensus. Yes, yes. So the couple and a couple people mentioned seeing a woman in a scarlet kimono and then a man in the wagon lit uniform that sounded like a woman. That sounded right, womanly. Short. Short and sounded womanly. Mm -hmm. So like I said, he decides he's going to check all the passengers luggage. And so while checking the passenger's luggage. Mrs. Hubbard finds the knife in her room. So she comes running out screaming. Mm -hmm. and, like, and like her oh. toiletries bag. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she is so uber dramatic. Mm -hmm. She is uber dramatic. <laughs> um, and also he gets to his room. Yeah. And he finds the kimono. Yeah. He checks his room last mm -hmm. and he was not checking it. I think he went to get something. Yep. And when he opens his suitcase, he sees the red kimono is in his bag. And he's like, oh, whoever did it, mm -hmm. they're being defiant. Yeah. And that's fine with me. <laughs> he did say that. <laughs> and then the wagon lit uniform. Yeah. With the missing button is found in Hildegard Schmidt's luggage. And she, as I mentioned, is the maid of the princess. Oh, and the, um, the handkerchief that was left has an H on it. Is it hers? It is not hers. Oh. It is not hers. <laughs> so let's get to the truth. So one by one, we begin to learn the truth about who everyone is. Right. Turns out <laughs> Pierre Michel is... The conductor. Yeah, the conductor. He is the father of the suicide of the, the nurse of Daisy. <gasps> Oh, okay. Um, Mrs. Hubbard. Do her last. Okay, I'll do her last. 
But she, Greta Olsen, the Swedish woman, was the Swedish nurse of Daisy. Mm -hmm. So she was another nurse. And we already knew that Princess Dragomirov was the godmother to Sonia. And she said... Daisy's mom. Yeah, Daisy's mom. And she said she didn't even know that there was a little sister. Well, she knew there was a little sister and there was a little sister. I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you guys that. But Sonia Armstrong had a younger sister. She was young, young. So let's just... So let's back up and just explain the scene briefly. There is a father and a mother. The mother is Sonia. They have one child together named Daisy and Sonia is pregnant with their second child. Sonia has a younger sister. Sonia, her sister, have a mom who is a famous actress. Correct. That famous actress of a mom has a best friend who's part of nobility. That best friend is Princess Dragomiroff. Poirot finds is Princess Dragom. Well, she admitted it. So she admitted that early on. Yeah. And the princess's goddaughter was Sonia. Yes. And Sonia's sister. It didn't say that. She it didn't, didn't. It didn't say that she was her daughter. Was and Sonya. also, okay. um, she, when they asked about the daughter, because he asked, did there, were there any other siblings? And he said, yeah. But I don't remember. She married somebody and I don't know who she married. Yeah, but that, I mean, that was a lie. But yeah, so mm-hmm. the princess claims not to know Sonia's sister. Right. Mm-hmm. And Sonia's her goddaughter. Mm-hmm. Princess Dragomirov is um, the godmother to Sonia. Mm-hmm. And she finally admits to owning the handkerchief. <gasps> that was at the murder scene? That was at the murder scene. And you know what? Dun, she fluffed dun, that dun. off so well. She was like, so? She sat down. You need not make a long business of this, messieurs. Your next question will be, how did my handkerchief come to be lying by a murdered man's body? My reply to that is that I have no idea. You have really no idea? None whatsoever. You will excuse me, madam, but how much can we rely upon the truthfulness of your replies? Perot said the words very softly. Princess Dragomirov answered contemptuously. I suppose you mean because I did not tell you that Helena Andrani was Mrs. Armstrong's sister? In fact, you deliberately lied to us in the matter. Certainly. I would do the same again. Her mother was my friend. I believe, messieurs, in loyalty to one's friends and one's family and one's caste. You do not believe in doing your utmost to further the ends of justice. In this case, I consider that justice, strict justice, has been done. Perot leaned forward. You see my difficulty, madame. In this matter of the handkerchief, even am I to believe you, or are you shielding your friend's daughter? Oh, I see what you mean. Her face broke into a grim smile. Well, messieurs, this statement of mine can be easily proved. I will forward you the address of the people in Paris who make my handkerchiefs. You have only to show them the one in question, and they will inform you that it was made to my order over a year ago. The handkerchief is mine, messieurs. She rose. Have you anything further you wish to ask me? Your maid, madam, did she recognize this handkerchief when we showed it to her this morning? She must have done so. She saw it and said nothing? Ah. Well, that shows that she, too, can be loyal. 
with a slight inclination of her head, she passed out of the dining car. She wasn't worried there. about nothing. I don't care. <laughs> she, she that's mine. You didn't him. ask me. That's what Not she that said. I would have told you. Maybe I would have lied. But anyway, it's mine. And mm-hmm. then we learned that Antonio Foscarelli, um, the American, the one that... The Italian-American. Yep. Um, Monsieur Bont wants to be the crim- the murderer. Yeah, he accused right away with no evidence. Mm-hmm. He was the chauffeur. For, for the, the Armstrong, Armstrong family. For the Armstrong oh family. And so with that, he loved Daisy very much. Mm-hmm. So all people that very lo- much loved her. And it turns out that Mary Debenham, the British, the one that was friends with Colonel, well, who kind of faked was that relationship. Was pretending to not, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. to not know each other, but didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. She was the governess of Daisy. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. And then Hildegard Schmidt, the German who was also the, who was pretending to be, I guess, the maid of Princess Dragomirov. Yeah. <laughs> she was actually the Armstrong's cook. Colonel Abernot was a friend of Colonel Armstrong. Best friend. Best friend. Mm-hmm. And that, who was the father of Daisy. Right. Okay. And then we learned that. Da, 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 da. No, not yet. Oh. Mr. Hardman. <laughs> said he was hired by Ratchet to be a detective. Right. Which turned out to be a lie. Yes. He turned out to be a lie. He was actually in love with Daisy's French nurse who committed suicide. Yeah. So all of these people are connected to the Armstrongs and to this case involving Daisy's murder. Right. Baby Daisy's murder. Baby Daisy's murder. So let's hear this little (gasps) dun-dun-dun. Mrs. Hubbard is the mother, the grandmother of Daisy Armstrong. Oh my, she's the actress? Yes, she Can is Can I tell you I guessed this? Did you really? Yeah, I Why? did. I was so proud of myself. Yeah. She said, I always fancy myself in comedy parts. <laughs> like this one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So she had a role. I mean, because she was really obnoxious on the train. Yeah. And everybody, he was like, I know all about her children. I don't even know her. <laughs> right. Because she was so loud and obnoxious. <laughs> And so, also, we learned that Count Countess Adrenie, what's her name? Oh, yeah, Adrenie. Adrenie. Her name is Helena Goldberg, and she is the sister to Mrs. Sonia Armstrong, the mother of Daisy. Daisy was her niece. Daisy was her niece. So, as we mentioned, everybody... Is connected. Somehow connected to this. Mm, What a coincidence. Can we take a break? Yep. Okay. So, Perot now reveals this all onto everybody. I know who you are. I know how you're associated. So you are. <laughs> is he Irish or he's a pirate? I know who, how you all fit into this story. Okay. How's that? <laughs> yeah. You're always laughing at me. <laughs> so he presents two scenarios. Okay. He said, Perot says, I got two scenarios for you. Here's the first one. And so the enemy that Hartman described, which was the short, <laughs> was a short man, that had a woman's the short voice. Conductor with a woman's voice. With a woman's yeah. voice. 
And I believe this person is also fake. Yep, that's a lie. That person doesn't exist. Okay. Join the coach at one of the stops. Um, through the door left open by Mr. Arbonat and McQueen, who had had a conversation. They stepped off the train for a moment, left the door open, and they said it was too cold and they jumped back on. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the suspect would have jumped in that way. The enemy went into Ratchet's compartment and murdered him. The murder was committed at 12.15 a.m. And the voice heard at 12.47 was a third person in the compartment. So two murderers. Yes. And they all escaped the train. So they got on and they got off. Mm -hmm. The second scenario in the movie, they actually say that everybody took a part in stabbing it. This is not actually said. Yes, it is. They're all involved in something. No, in the book, each one of them took a stab at him. That is why there are 12 stabs. That is why there are 12 stabs. Yes, but it does. They don't all admit to stabbing him. That's what I'm saying. Whereas in the thing, they specifically say that. Oh, is that right? Mm -hmm. Well, Perel just says, I know y'all all all stabbed him once. Yeah. So this is both symbolic and literal that they wanted to, they wanted to be the 12 people in that jury because they would have convicted him. So all 12 of them stabbed him once showing Mm -hmm. their conviction. Ooh. There was something that I read. It said the extraordinary difficulty of convicting any one person in the crime and the amount of people traveling on the train with some connection to the Armstrong case led parole to one solution. They were all in it. The Armstrongs formed a self-appointed jury of 12, came together and stabbed Ratchet 12 times. Ratchet escaped justice in the U.S., but the Armstrong family carried out their own form of justice. Yes. Vigilante justice. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's the story. Kari, <laughs> yeah. what are your thoughts? Well, and I would, would you read it again. Would I read it again? Refer it Ooh. Out. Well, that's three questions. So mm-hmm. my thoughts are this book is fun. It's about murder, but it's not handled in a very gruesome way. It is very easy to read, lighthearted. Um, its characters, are, they the dialogue is written with intelligence um, so it do, it is easy to follow, even though there are a million characters. And um, I would recommend it to anyone who wants to read that they don't have to pay too much attention to, but can still be entertained by. So the story has holes. <laughs> this is not something that you read with a critical eye. Really? Yes. You wow. suspend that belief to the high heavens because a lot of things are just not going to make sense. Um, it was explained that everyone's on the train. Um, they orchestrated that because the gentleman who the conductor worked it out so that everyone could be on the train at the same time. Mm-hmm. The conductor. Mm-hmm. That's not how that works. <laughs> so also... Uh, it's just a lot of thing ha- things have to be forgiven. It's for entertainment. It's this is to be a fun, fun little whodunit. Yes. And it succeeds. You're really hard on the writers now. Yeah. Well, what what do you think? What's your final verdict? Would you recommend the book? I would. I enjoyed it immensely. I was glad. Um, a lot of times as I was reading the book, I was yeah. reminded of the, the 1974 movie. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated it. I um I enjoyed the characters. Yeah. I enjoyed reading Perot. He really came to life on the pages. Yeah. And so I thought the characters were fleshed out. Um, they were pretty, um, I think, feel like some of the characters was prejudiced, but still. No, you don't feel, they were written 
to be that way. Yeah, they were. Yeah. So that has something to say about Agatha. But and how I don't she think felt so. about America. No. Oh, you mean the all the comments? So I don't think so. I think because these characters, the reader is supposed to believe that these characters have biases and right. prejudice, prejudices. If the author is biased and prejudiced, then these biases are written as fact, not as opinion, is my experience. Oh, and they were really all that. But the reader is supposed to believe that they have hangups. <laughs> so I think that's not a bad uh, look for Agatha. Her characters <laughs> have the problems, not her. Okay, I can appreciate that. Uh, I, I do, and I would recommend this book again. What did you like most about the book? I like the story, and when I when I read a book, yeah, I'm not looking for, say, the holes in the story. <laughs> I just read it for what's on the page. So I have yeah. fun with reading, and so this was a fun little book for me. It was definitely for that. And it was, yeah. it was full of, times to chuckle when yeah. you're reading it and I love being able to laugh while I'm reading a book so I really appreciated that about her. what would you change about it what would I change what you know I did have a thought about that but I'm not prepared to talk about okay. it okay I mean dang I don't have any opinion <laughs> did you did you have any thoughts of something you wanted to change I know you do you could cut this cast list in half and still have the same effect there's way too many people. Then you wouldn't have the game Clue. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so for a board game, this is great. But for like reading and every day, I don't know, watching the movie, any this IP is much too involved, it, more than it needs to be. Really? Yeah, I thought for that, sure. that all the characters filled it out because it represented a, a whole house of people that the Italian chauffeur. All of them. All of them contributed to this household. And so they were a valuable part of the story. Okay. But I think the same effects could have come across with half the characters, with six characters. Half the characters. You could have given me six instead of 13 and it would have been the same to me. And I would have liked to for there to be a real uh, twist with the mom being revealed. I wanted that to be more. And it wasn't. It, it wasn't. wasn't dramatic it was like, yep, I'm the actress. And how come y'all don't know that this is the actress? She doesn't have a mask on. She was super famous. Like everyone should know. He specifically said American dramatic actress. So it, she wasn't necessarily that popular to parole or book. Oh, okay. Or, okay. or the doctor. Right. Constantine. Okay. Oh, is that right? Yeah. But she had these foreign nobility friends. Her circle <laughs> was international. Sure. But still, okay. That, but it's like yeah, today. I don't know. Everybody I don't buy doesn't that. know everybody. But um, but yeah, it it was fun. I had a great time with this book. It was a great pick, and I would love to read more by Agatha Christie. Mm, this too. is the first book we've ever read mm -hmm. by her. And I think it was a great pick. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what are we reading next week, Alexis? Animal Farm. <laughs> yes. Animal Farm. That's the book I picked. I can't wait. Everyone, please read it. It's like 10 pages. You'll More like a hundred and something. So don't fall <laughs> Oh, it's for short that. though. Yeah, it yeah. Short. It's short. Um, and thank you everyone for listening to Lit Society. We'll see you next Tuesday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Anaria and Kari Herrera. Listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast providers starting in 2020. You're listening today because you're likely one of our first listeners and you signed up online. Share that link with anyone you think may be interested. And until next time, read something. Read something.